Well, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. We'll read the first 10 verses. Not going to get through the 10 verses tonight, but uh, we will we'll read the first 10 verses. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Um, so tonight we're going to look at the, the living stone that we saw in verse number four in the first part of this, and, and think about what Peter has to say to us um, about the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1992, in March, uh, the Newell family sat down in South Shore, Kentucky to watch um, the NCAA tournament, March Madness. Well, same night in North Carolina, uh, the Kiger family sat down to watch the NCAA tournament uh, and watched March Madness. And it was uh, Duke versus University of Kentucky. So the Kiger family, being from North Carolina, were, were very big Duke fans and my family, being from Kentucky, very big University of Kentucky fans. And so we watched the game uh, at our house. They watched the game in their house, and it was up and down, back and forth. And if you know anything about college basketball, you might remember um, the shot with just seconds left. Uh, Kentucky has a lead. Duke throws the ball down to Christian Leitner, and he shoots a buzzer beater and wins the game in the last second, goes to the Final Four. We watched the same game, but there was very, the two very uh, completely different reactions to how that game ended. You know, one family was shouting and jumping and, and, and having a good time. The other family was probably sh shouting, not having such a good time after the game. Um, one saw the game as one of the great uh, shots of all time, we saw the game as one of the great uh, tragedies in, of all time. So 
We watched, looked at the same thing, but we viewed it from very different perspectives. Uh, the same game, two completely different views of how it went. Uh, a couple years ago, I was listening to a radio program. So this is 1992, remember? And um, Christian Leitner was on that radio program. And they were talking, he said he still gets people from Kentucky who will, will uh, scream at him, yell at him if they, if they recognize him out on the street. He said he's still hated by University of Kentucky fans. He, he laughs about it. He thinks it's, he thinks it's funny, but you know, that, <laughs> people still have a very a harsh view of that, that game all these years later. Well, why do I say that? Well, because in this section, Peter gives a description of this living stone. The same one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have two very different reactions to the same Lord Jesus Christ. To some people, he is precious. To other people, he is despised and rejected. The, the point of this, however, is that there is one true perspective how do we know what to believe about the Lord Jesus? Well, God tells us who Jesus is. God tells us who this uh, stone would be. And in the Old Testament, he tells us how we ought to react. He tells us what we ought to do whenever he comes. He tells us the proper way of looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, as God's people, look at the Lord Jesus Christ in a very different way that the world looks at the Lord Jesus Christ. They have access to the Bible. They've heard uh, the gospel. Many people have, but reject him. Not because there is anything deficient in him, but who Jesus Christ is goes against what they love and what they believe. That they have a set of loves which revolve around themselves, and Christ offends them. Christ goes against their, na their nature. And so you have two groups of people, and really that's all the t different kinds of people there are in the world. It's talking about uh, you know, some racism before the, the ser service, talking about racism out in the world. Well, they divide people up by different colors. And, and where you live and where you're born. But there's really only two kinds of people, and it doesn't matter what color you are. You're not divided by that. There's saved people and there's lost people. There are God's elect, and then there are the reprobate. There are those who trust in Christ and those who don't. There are the sheep and the goats. That's the, the dividing line. And these two groups of people look at the Lord Jesus Christ in, in very different ways. And so, you and I can suffer in this life because we have the minority opinion. In the world, we are in the minority. Jesus says, few there be to find it. It's not a majority of, of Christian people. It's a minority of those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who was despised and rejected, then you too will be despised and rejected by that same world. He was disallowed. 
He was a stumbling stone. He was a rock of offense, despised and rejected, deemed stricken of God. That is how the world viewed him. And we who follow Christ are following one, the one who was despised and rejected. We're following the one who was put to death, who was hated uh, for his holiness and his righteousness. And so we can expect to get that self-same treatment. But this goes along with what we read in chapter number one, where Peter was weaving in and out of Though we have all these blessings in Christ, we still will suffer. Though we have every reason to rejoice for a season, we may go through heavy trials and temptations. Though we love Christ, we see Him not, but we have joy unspeakable and full of glory looking for His return, looking to the end of our faith. We've received much from God, and by God's grace, we have many privileges and blessings, and much hope in what the Lord has done for us, and what He's doing for us, and what He will do for us. And though the trial of our faith be heavy, we look to Jesus with joy and faith, knowing that the trial of our faith is more precious than gold, and believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so as children of God, Peter says, we live by children of God. As our Father is holy, we are holy. And as our Father is the judge, we walk um, with fear of, of not doing what he would say to dishonor him. We love him and, and follow him in, in that love and long for him to, to come again for us. We put off the old way of sin and corruption and desire the pure milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. That same word by which we are made the children of God, not corruptible seed, but incorruptible by that word that liveth and and abideth forever. That word which is the pure milk of the word of God that that cleanses and sanctifies us and that we may grow and learn more, that teaches us of Christ and and guides us in the things of God. We put off the old way of sin and desire that word of God if we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That is the Lord who is gracious. That Lord is who we come to. And so if we read verses 3 and 4 together without, you know, as the, the continuous thought, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone. So that's who we come to, the gracious Lord. It is the gracious Lord Jesus who we find in the text is precious and elect and chosen of God, the chief cornerstone to whom we come and believe. It is the Lord Jesus that we see as precious. Though the world sees no beauty, though he's offensive and a stumbling block to those who don't come to him by faith. But we who trust the Lord Jesus, the elect of God, the redeemed of God, the sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we've tasted that the Lord is gracious. We've experienced his grace and experienced his love and experienced his mercy. 
And we are united to him, the living stone. And so we are living stones because we are united to the living stone. We are built upon him, a better foundation. We are built upon him to make a better temple and called into a better priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable and pleasing unto God by our Lord Jesus. And in Christ that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. And so this, this passage of Scripture, it's Peter kind of weaves in and out, going back and forth between speaking of Christ and then speaking of us, then back to Christ and then back to us. But the gist of this this section is Christ came as the chief of the chief cornerstone. Some people fell upon him by faith. Some people rejected him. The stone fell upon them. But those who come to Christ by faith, despite what may occur in this life, despite how we are treated by the world, despite what the world may say, are blessed beyond measure. That in Christ, by faith in Christ, we who come to him have blessings beyond our imaginations. And so um, tonight we're going to, like I said, look at this uh, living stone that we have and and think about what the Lord um, tells us about this and what we can uh, see from it. So let's look first of all at the, the chief cornerstone. Peter reminds these scattered strangers who they have come to. In verse 1, Peter references Isaiah 28:16. And then he quotes it again in chapter 2 and verse number 6. So chapter 2 verse 4 and chapter 2 verse 6, he comes back to referencing this the same passage um, so I'm going to be going back and forth here so in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 let's, let's draw from what uh, Peter is drawing from here It says, therefore, in verse 16 of Isaiah 28, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. In chapter 28 of the book of Isaiah, God is threatening Judah and Israel with judgment. Apart from a couple verses, it's all threatening of judgment and a, a um, convicting of their sinfulness. Verse number one, they were proud. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which on the one head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. They were proud. 
their glorious beauty, the Lord says, is a fading flower. They were proud of who they were and, and what God had made them, but, but they were not trusting in the Lord and they were not walking with the Lord. And because they were the covenant people of God and had broken their covenant, they were as a fading flower. The position that Judah and Israel had was not because they were the biggest people or the greatest people. It was because of God's grace. But they had become proud of what God had given them. And now the judgment of God was coming upon them. So they were proud. Uh, they, in verse 7 and 8, we find they were drunkards. By, but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink that they are swallowed up of the wine and they are out of the way. Through strong drink, they err in the vision, they stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Well, that's a pretty uh, vivid description there. The, uh, just a nation of drunkards. The, the priests were drunkards. The, the prophets were drunkards. Um, everyone was um, not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but under the influence of of wine and strong drink. The people that they would go to to lead them in righteousness are sitting around a table full of filthiness and vomit. A drunken party is, is what you're, you're um, trying to envision there. People will have on um, advertisements have uh, people with, uh, you know, having a great time drinking and everybody's nice looking and good looking and, and all is well. But that's not how uh, this drunken life will lead you. That's how it's advertised, but that's not how it is. Um, I went and uh, one time I had to pick some guys up for work and uh, they were all living in the same house and I got to the house, knocked on the door, nobody answered. It was unlocked, so I walked in and the place was just full of people. This is 6 o'clock in the morning on a weekday, work day. And I walk in, and there's somebody passed out on the floor. Walking a little bit further, somebody I saw feet sticking up off the couch. Somebody passed out upside down on the couch. People just laying around on top of each other, filthy. Uh, throw up, you know, just just a, a vivid mess. And that, that's what, that's what uh, drunken parties are. That, I mean, that's the, a reality, a good picture of it. Um, what the Bible has, not what what the devil will will say it is, but the, you know that that that's where it leads up to. Well, that that was the whole nation. They wouldn't hear God's word. In verse number nine, whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from breast, for precept must be on precept. On precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of God was unto them precept upon precept, and precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. They wouldn't hear God's word. So we, we talk about line upon line and precept upon precept. Um, 
But what God was saying when he said this is the people just won't hear the word of God. Peter said that we should uh, be like newborn babes desiring the milk of the word of God. Here, Isaiah said, who shall we teach knowledge to make understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And he's saying that it should have been laid out like you would teach a little infant. But they would not hear. They would not hear. They would not receive that rest. This is the rest wherewith they may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Here's the gospel. Here's the refreshing. Here's where you may rest. But they wouldn't hear it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want any gospel. They didn't want any rest from their sins. They didn't want any peace from Christ. You would think that's what everybody wants, right? Um, everybody wants peace. Everybody wants rest. Well, here it is presented to you. You can have rest from your sins and rest from your weariness. By coming to Christ by faith, but oh no, we can't have that. We want rest from our troubled consciences, so we'll try to find rest. Some people try to find it like Israel did here in the bottle. Some people will try to find it in a prescription bottle. Some people will try to find it um, in, in food or, or illicit sins or whatever it might be. Well, here's rest in the Word of God. Here's rest in Christ, but... They would not hear. But in the midst of this, verse 14, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. So now, the word is coming down harsh upon the rulers. The the people in charge, the, the secular rulers, the religious rulers, you scornful men, Isaiah says, you listen because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell. We are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. We have made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. So here they are, not repenting of their sins, not living according to the covenant they made with God, said, no, we made a covenant with death and hell. We don't agree with God. We don't agree with what God has to say. We don't follow God's ways. We're not in alignment with God. We're in alignment with hell, with death, the grave. When the judgment comes, it's not going to touch us. Well, why? Because they made lies their refuge. They hid themselves in falsehood. They hid themselves in damnable doctrine. That's the condition of the people of Israel. To where the Lord says, therefore, the people had forsaken the the Lord, by and large forsaken the covenant, forsaken the grace of God, broken the covenant that God had made Uh, with his people, and God says, therefore, in Zion, he's going to lay a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, 
a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now some people heard this message and believed this. And they looked, people like Isaiah, looked at this and said, even so, come, O precious cornerstone. And they didn't look at the temple and trust in that temple, but they looked for a, a foundation stone to come, one that is tried, a stone that had not yet come, but one that had already been tried by uh, the people of God, a, a, a stone tried and believed upon by Abraham and, and Noah, and Isaac and Jacob, and Moses, and Joshua, and Caleb, and on and on and on. They had, they had come to have faith in this coming one. But this foundation stone would come, would come, and he would be laid in Zion, a sure foundation. But other people preferred the falsehoods, verse 15, to find refuge in lies and and hide under the falsehood of damnable doctrine. So you have the same truth preached to the same group of people, but two very different views. So who do we believe? Do we believe the rulers, the people that rule in Jerusalem, or do we believe Isaiah? Well, what we have is God in the Old Testament telling us what to think about the Lord Jesus. Whenever the Lord Jesus comes, God tells us how we should view him and, and how we should um, come to him. He is the foundation. He is tried and true. He is precious. He is a sure foundation. And if you believe in him, you will not be ashamed. So Peter, Isaiah says this, looking forward to the Lord Jesus. So Peter takes this up and looks back to the Lord Jesus and says, this is who we have believed in. Isaiah told the, the people of the Old Testament that he was coming to look for him, and when he does, you believe in him. Well, he came. And you dear Christians, have believed in Him. Believed in Him. You have come to this foundation. You have come to believe in the one that the Lord had told of in Isaiah's time, the one to whom the whole Old Testament was pointing to. You, dear children of God, who are called to be holy, who are born again by the Word of God, who are fed and strengthened by the milk of the word of God, who have tasted and experienced and seen that the Lord is good and that the Lord is gracious, you have come to this stone. You have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, this living stone. And so the rest of that passage is also true. The judgment and the condemnation 
And so it was not just Israel and Judah who had looked at the Lord and saw no beauty in him and despised and rejected him, but it was also the Gentiles and, and the larger world. And so we, as children of God, whether Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. We have come and, and laid hold of that stone in Zion. And we have received all the blessings that God had promised his covenant people. Now, the, the, Isaiah is talking to the covenant people of the Old Testament who had, God had made a covenant with that if they followed his law and kept his law, he would bless their, peop- their land and bless uh, the people in the land. But, but they couldn't keep that covenant. They couldn't, they couldn't keep the law. And they couldn't follow. And, and that, that law, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, was a schoolmaster to show them the insufficient power that they had to keep the law. It was supposed to bring them to the point where they looked for this foundation stone, a tried and precious cornerstone, to say, Lord, we have failed. We are insufficient. Below there comes one who will keep the law on our behalf, who will keep the covenant for us, this new and better covenant as Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, spoke of. Well, Peter now says, this stone has come. And it was not a physical stone. The temple was still alive uh, around whenever uh, Peter wrote this. Peter says it's not Solomon's temple stone. It's not Herod's temple stone. It wasn't a building that was our refuge. It's not an actual rock. It's not a temple built with hands. This stone was Christ. This living stone. Now Peter adds the living part to that. Isaiah said it was a stone, a tried stone, a precious stone. But Peter says this is a living stone. How much better this foundation than a slab of rock? You can go and see pictures now. People in Jerusalem will go to the the temple wall and they'll go to those rocks and they'll weep and they'll pray and, and, and do all those things. They go to that city and they go to that hill, they go to Zion and they bow down and they pray and they gather around that rock. They gather around a wall that's got no more power than our driveway out here. It, it's a rock. They have hid themselves under falsehood and made lies the refuge because they have rejected the true stone that was laid in Zion 2,000 years ago. Not a stone cut by uh, masons, but a living stone, one who was alive, the Lord Jesus. Solomon's temple was destroyed. Then a new temple foundation was laid. But that temple wasn't as good as Solomon's temple. Haggai said, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? 
And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as it is nothing? Remember in Ezra that whenever they started building the temple, some people were shouting for joy and other people were crying and they couldn't distinguish who was crying and who was shouting because the old people remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. And just wasn't going to be the same. Herod's temple was built and just about no sooner than it came up as it came right back down and there hasn't been a temple there since. Hasn't been a temple there since the year 70. It's a physical temple. A physical stone could be tore down. Knocked over. Moved. But this living cornerstone is better than a building. Our foundation is better than the, the rock of up on Zion. But our foundation is upon the eternal God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if we flip back to our text, we find that he was a living stone. And he said, that's who you've come to. Yes, indeed, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And then in verse number 6, he quotes the chief cornerstone, elect and precious. Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the suffering servant, the God-man who fulfilled those promises of the Old Testament, who came, the Word made flesh, to dwell among us and, and live among us and live for us and redeem us unto God. <clears throat> the only begotten Son is our living stone. The anointed one. So, God's Christ. Chosen of God. That's who we have come to. Not chosen of the world. Not chosen of the, the nation of Israel. Not chosen by democracy. He, he is the only begotten one that we, we have come to. Precious. This is what God thinks of the only begotten son. This is what God thinks of the living stone. Chosen of God and precious to God. Highly honored of God. Above every man who has ever lived. Above every angel ever created. A name given above every name. The Lord Jesus Christ. Precious. That's how we are to view him. That's how God told Isaiah to tell the people to view him. That's how Peter tells us to view him. Because you go through and you read, um, especially Acts 4, where Peter quotes this again. Chapter Acts 4.11. You have rejected the chosen of God, he tells them. You, you have not come to Christ to believe him. So that we ask ourselves, what do we believe about Jesus? What do we think about Jesus? Because there's two views here that we read in our text. There's two views. Verse number four. Some people disallowed him. Disallowed indeed of men. 
rejected, in other words, repudiated. They did not come to him, they do not come to him, they would not and they will not come to him. They reject him. Not that they don't know of him, but they do know of him. And they view him as as one to be despised, not to believed upon, willingly rejected. So that's what some people think about Jesus. Some people think about him um, in verse number 8 as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Rather than coming to Christ, they despise him. Rather than viewing him as the chief cornerstone, they see him as an, an adversary to their religion and their way of life. They reject Christ. They reject his gospel, his truth. And the life of Christ offends them. And his gospel offends them. And his truth offends them. I was listening to some people talk about uh, the religious life on a... Um, on a uh, radio show and they were talking about the saints and you know the the Roman Catholic saints and the, those type of people and they were talking about how oh how they suffered and oh how they lived lives of of self-denial and they live that we can have examples and they talked about them living take you know, experiencing the sufferings of Christ that, that we could look to them and, and they, they lifted these people up as examples of how we too can suffer for our own sins and atone for our own sins and, and work. They were saying that was working out our salvation for us to suffer for our own sins and they, they, they thought that that was such a, a wonderful concept. And they said, well, it's not like the Protestant Reformation people believe that you just have to believe in Jesus. But this is something that you have to do to, to work it out. And they thought it so noble for one to try to, to work out their own salvation. So noble for them to, and I say that not as Paul said it, but as they were saying it, to actually participate in, in working off your sin. That's how they were putting it. But so noble. And yet, so dismissive of the doctrine of justification by faith, which is what the scriptures teach. That offended them. It was offensive. Now, they didn't come out and just say bad things about it. But it, you could just hear it was offensive to them. To, well, that's all you have to do is just believe in Jesus. But, but the gospel, Christ was offensive. That one would live for another and one would pay the sins of another by grace and through faith. So they disallowed him. They are the ones who were confounded. They are the ones that were put to shame and dishonored and disgraced. They are the disobedient, verse number seven. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them 
was to be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made at the head of the corner. Disobedient or willfully um, refusing to believe and obey. Not allowing one, as Thayer's definition puts it, not allowing oneself to be persuaded. Not that, well, I don't believe because there's not evidence. I, I, I don't want to believe what you have to say. I, I refuse to hear. I will not comply with it. This is who is disallowed. The confounded. The disobedient. The builders. And these builders are those Jewish leaders. Remember in Isaiah 28? They had set themselves up to build the nation. They had set themselves up to build the kingdom. They had set themselves up to rule the people of God spiritually. The builders, as they viewed themselves, who built a refuge of lies and, and falsehood. These builders built a foundation made of sand, of falsehood, of, of, of lies and damnable doctrine, hating the foundation of God. And here in Zion... The chosen, precious, elect Son of God, the tried and sure foundation, was set in Zion. Christ came to the people of God, came to Jerusalem. And they looked upon him and said, Crucify him. Away with this one who preaches grace. Away with this one who lives in holiness and righteousness. Away with him, we have our temple. We have our religion. We have our ways, the builders say. We have our program. We have our way of doing these laws. We have our way of, of religion. Away with this, this one, this, this stone. We have built our religion and our lives and our livelihood on lies. And these are the ones that stumble at the word. They stumble at the word, the Lord Jesus. They stumbled at the word of God. So he was a stumbling stone. And they, they stumbled at him, the word, but they also stumbled at the law. But it was he who was made chief or head of the corner. They were not living stones, but they were dead stones. They were not walking in the light because um, um, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, but they, they walk in darkness. The same Savior, the same Jesus, but a very different view of this Jesus. But to some, he is precious. Now, Jesus came as a living stone, verse number four, chosen of God and precious. But to this other group of people, he said, ye also, as lively stones, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To some, he is precious. To some who come 
unto Christ, to some who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we agree with God. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ and the world says, crucify him. The world says, away with him. The world says, we will not have this man rule over us. Our, our old nature says that. Our old nature says, I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I, I, I don't want to follow those laws. I, I don't want to be a church person. But then we tasted that the Lord is good and that the Lord is gracious. And by God's grace, our hearts were broken. Our hearts were softened. And we were drawn into the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we tasted his grace and experienced his mercy. And then, by God's grace and by God's Spirit, we see the Word of God, that we were born again, that endures forever, that pure milk of the Word that we grow by, we've tasted that the Lord is good. And we see that the Lord has told us He was chosen of God and precious, that He is that chief cornerstone. And we look to Him and we agree with God. We agree with God uh, about what the scriptures say with, about God the Son. We agree with the testimony of scripture, not the majority position, but God's position. Not what most people think, but what God has declared, and we agree with that. And whereas they are disallow Jesus, reject him, we come to him, and we love him whom we have not seen. They will not come to him, we come to him. They disobey him, we obey him. For we are holy as he is holy. And we obey the children as obedient children. Verse 14 of chapter number 1. As they were uh, uh, drunkards, we are, we are sober. As, as they hear the word of men, we hear the word of God. As they have a stone of stumbling, we build our lives upon that foundation. They are confounded. But for us, verse 6, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, shall not be ashamed. It's the same um, word that Paul uses, the same Greek word that Paul uses in Romans 5, 5. And um, this will be our last point here. We're going to wind up after this, Romans 5, 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And then chapter 10, verse number 11, it says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And Peter says, When we come and believe on this precious, elect cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall not be ashamed. We shall not be confounded because those who trust in him find him to be the perfect Savior who never fails. We're never ashamed of being wrong or being abandoned. So Peter tells these scattered, persecuted strangers full of heavy trials and temptations. The world may think you're crazy. The world may persecute you. The world may hate your Lord. But you agree with God. You have tasted and experienced that he is good and gracious. You agree with the scriptures. You agree with the testimony of the word of God that, that uh, never fades. It abides forever. And because 
of that faith that he has given you, you receive these many, many uh, promises and blessings. And uh, Lord willing, that's what we'll look at next week, those blessings that come along of being united to Christ. But for tonight, know that, that he is that precious one to whom the scriptures point.